wonderfuls. Welcome to episode 335 of the podcast. Boys of Summer continues with my fantastic guest, the wildly talented Chris Sullivan. Uh, I am a fan of his, but you know what? No, I'm a friend of his. And I know that you will absolutely love this episode because he's a very special person. So uh, that sounded sarcastic. It 100% was not. Uh, please enjoy. Uh, check out his upcoming podcast, In Love. Um, I believe it is it is not released yet, but it will towards the end of the month. But I will remind everyone. And uh, that's it. I hope everyone's having a wonderful summer. Yeah, tell me about Wayne White. <laughs> oh, but you'll have to hold your mic because it um, might it might yeah. get muffly. He was the was the um, uh, uh, production designer for Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh shit! So he's a painter, a sculptor, a puppeteer, a musician, all of these things, and he's just kind of an insane, like bearded mountain man. Yeah. And so he started his like introduction into the the world of fine art was he would go to thrift shops and and buy uh like two dollar landscapes and then paint word paintings into them it's got to be what's at fred 62 because that's like if you told me that fred 62 is a is a cafe on hillhurst um here on the other side of the world where you've come but they're they've been there forever and fred 62 because it has that sort of like 50s hipster diner i wouldn't be surprised if he like design the stuff inside the diner as well right i have absolutely no nothing to base that on but it's very peewee's playhouse yeah. in the sense of you can easily see like a yeah. paul rubin sitting down in the 80s yeah he he is i think that's how he got started it was like uh, a, a cafe in nashville like that there you or, go right somewhere in tennessee wherever he's from those nashvillians um, where are you from? They're hip. Uh, Sacramento, California. You are yeah, from I, Sacramento. I was born. I was born in Palm Springs. Okay. And then moved to Sacramento when I was like uh, five or six. Okay. So I grew up in Sacramento. So you have the expected snobbery that comes from being a state's capital. Listen. But, yeah. If there's any, if there's any city that uh, requires your respect, yeah. it's uh, it's Sacramento. Yeah. Um, very rural place. It is outside. It's where they found gold. Yeah. You know. My dad writes books about ghost towns and old mining camps and stuff. Amazing. So you from know the American about, West. So you he's know a all big, about Lodi. He really made me a nerd. Yep. And Placerville. Mm-hmm. Hangtown. Hangtown. Uh, Sacramento. Fresno. Modesto. Um, uh, and then, yeah, I came down here for, for college and then lived in Chicago for a while and New York for a while and I'm now back full circle. Where did you yeah. uh, go to school down here? Loyola Marymount. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was one of the call. That has a theater. Like that's sort of yeah. It does now solicits. But it feels it to me that when I went now. to, yeah. when I was looking at colleges, that was one that approached me about theater oh, stuff. Cool. But and I didn't like, have any money and I yeah. Do it. I was very I've got grounded about the idea of borrowing any money at all yeah, for theater. Fair I, enough. I, I, fair I, enough. I really. I probably should have been more. I probably could have done my parents a favor. <sighs> what are you going to do? What, not much. So your dad was the governor. Dad was the governor of California. Uh-huh. Living right there um, in Sacramento. Living right there in Sacramento. Also starred in a series of films um, called uh, The Terminator. Oh, wonderful. I don't know if you're familiar. I am familiar. Those, I'm uh, familiar with two of them. Two of them. And then uh, and where se- the, others? Uh, uh, the first Alien film. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, he was in the... 
The first, uh, uh, pardon me. Uh, Predator. Uh, Predator film. Yeah. Not Alien. Wow. <laughs> not Alien. You guys are not that uh, close. No, no, no. Nor do you know well, much he, about iconic hard, cinema. Well, he keeps people at an arm's yeah. <laughs> length. You know, he's not, he's not, uh, he's not someone you get to know. But he keeps people at arm's length. He keeps, he keeps people at, at a very large fit, Ar- to, arm, arm's, arm's length. length. Exactly. Have you, have you seen the, I, I haven't seen it, but um, I've heard tell that the Ronald Reagan governor's mansion that is, I think, maybe no longer the actual governor's mansion Correct. is like a sight to see. Uh, I haven't seen, seen it. Seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad uh, kind of forbade any of us visit it. Uh-huh. Um, it kind of told us all that, the, that we weren't allowed to acknowledge the existence of any governors before <laughs> or after. Mm-hmm. Uh, his sure. governorship. Sure. What if we kept up this for the entire podcast and you just had to build up yeah, I don't a know fake what, childhood? I don't know what you're talking about. Centering around. Um, yeah. The, yeah. The idea that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is my mm-hmm, father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, well, we, now we've said yeah, it. You never know these days. Now we've said it, so we've killed it, which yeah. I feel pretty good about. What? What? Why were your parents in Sacramento? Was uh, My dad was reason? a home builder and he, mm-hmm. he got a job up there. And so... Uh, uh, yeah. Like full on, like a contractor? Like a, a vice president of a home building company. Okay. And so so they built tract homes. and That's a good spot kind of to suburban, yeah, yeah. grow out the sprawl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the sprawl is real. The sprawl yeah. is real. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So Sacramento is still a place we visit. But your parents are? They're still there. They are still there. Do you have siblings? Yeah, I have a younger brother who lives here in, in Los Angeles, um, in Brentwood. Have you heard of it? I have. Mm-hmm. I have. It's a very nice neighborhood. It is a nice neighborhood. Um, I live in Marina Del Rey. Yeah. Which is the Florida of Los Angeles. It is. How did you, you know, it's so, I'm always so interested in non-LAers, which most of us are, yeah. uh, how they come to select their various pockets because it I, is a huge decision. And seriously. It's, and it, it seems you, like it has so much to do with what you, who already lived right. there or and whatever. And you live on the tip of a mountain. Yeah. Uh, I need those hills. Overlooking the Hollywood sign. Well, literally. No, literally. It's uh, driving up here. So romantic. The little tiny windy roads, which were built in 19... Yeah, they've been, this is... 15. The, like, Beachwood Canyon, right. which is not exactly where right. I am. Right. Stalkers is... Uh, the most <laughs> iconic sort of like the right. entire ride sure. of driving up Beachwood. Sure. You're just staring at the Hollywood sign. And you is... get to the tip of a mountain mm-hmm. and that's just go to the tip of a mountain and you, that's where you'll find <laughs> Janet Varney. Um, and yeah, so a friend of ours, we, when we first moved here, we were living uh, uh, inland and we found ourselves being drawn to the beach like mm-hmm. three times a week. So mm-hmm. we were taking that commute three times a week. And so a friend of ours uh, had a place out there. And so we rented for a while. And then we just a week ago you moved into moved. our first house. Congratulations. Real adult stuff. Yeah. Um, which has been uh, 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 both a joy and a, an exhilaration and also terrifying and anxiety inducing and uh, a real challenge. What, how, what is the size? Uh, I mean, not to get into square footage, but mm-hmm. I, I was just having a conversation. 2200. Yes, okay. All right. I was just having a conversation about how we are very good as a species, at least a West, the Western world, um, to sort of fit the size we're in. Janet. Like, it could be the tiniest studio and you'd be fine, or it could be a giant house. Somehow you Listen, will fill that space. When we lived in New York, we lived in a, in a 350 square foot, 400 square foot studio apartment. There you go. We fit fine. Yeah. A little cramped. Yeah. 
we then lived in this apartment over here, one bedroom, two bath, an office, you know, a thousand square feet, fit fine. We move everything into this new house. We don't have enough room for <laughs> for the for the shit that we unpacked out of closets. We're like, how, how is, is it possible? that we unpacked this apartment and moved to a house that's right. twice the size of the apartment right. we were in, and we can't find a place to put all this shit? That's really funny. It's really funny and Did you have a purging before yes. as well? So it and wasn't even that. Yes, it was like, we left. we got rid we left half our furniture yeah and and we can't and it's and it's it's i had i had real embarrassment like halfway through the move of just all the boxes of shit that i'm like i know i don't need this i know i don't want this i don't even like this yeah you know what i'll hold on to it for 10 years (laughs) right and let it just sit in the closet and hold psychic and emotional space that's right um and 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 when uh, when everything falls apart emotionally and mentally, I won't know to blame it on the binders of the scripts of the plays I did in college. Yeah, yeah. That are holding up shelf space. I definitely have some stuff like that, and I feel like I purge stuff like that more than some people. Like I don't, I'm not great at keeping mementos that I'll probably Me wish I had. Uh, maybe twenty, thirty years from now. Maybe but you will. What if or I've utterly forgotten? Yeah. Like. My wife and I just went through. I am a big uh, collector of framed things, like art and and things. And and I think part of it, like we looked at the stack of things, and and Rachel said, none of this applies to me. Like none of this, I don't vibe with right, any of right, this. Right, and I'm right. like, but these are like I've had these for a long time. And so the question is, do I like them, or have I just had them so long that I'm that they give me some kind of comfort mm-hmm. because I, my brain knows what to do when I look at it. Right. And, and yeah, so, if you, especially if you're a person who's moved or have yeah. on a regular life, the way yeah. we do in terms of our careers, like right. having those sort of touch points where right. you feel like that's right. a constant. Do I need to drag the old version of myself into the new house? Right. I don't think so. Yeah. Even though I really want to hold on to this stuff. Are you, gonna, the, are you gonna? Oh yeah, yeah. It's going. A lot of stuff's getting. Thrown you guys don't out. have kids, yeah? No. Yeah. We uh, that's did. A, we did. A whole other we did, massive. but we got rid of those two. Yeah. Like well, in the, listen. In the purge. That's the old you. We were like, if we're gonna get a house, yeah. Kids, kids will fuck up a that's house. That's right. That's right. Smart. So we purged them. Great. Uh, we put them on Let Go. Have mm-hmm. you heard of this app? No. Sorry, but you're not sponsored by them. I but feel like I don't. I mean, no, I'm not. You take a picture. You put a price on it, and you say, "Come get it." Yeah. And that's what we did with them. Well, how was that different from any other? It's just like oh, it's exactly the same. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> maybe there it's was some exactly. Zen quality no, 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 to no. it that was like no. the let go of it all. No, the, yeah, the, like right, you have to like listen. Everything's the same as like Craigslist yeah. or eBay, but you have to write a poem that you tape underneath the object. Sure, that is also emotional baggage. Right. That then, when you release that item, that haunts the apartment. Yes, of the next person. Then that goes like, away. The next and person who hangs house. it is like, why do I have this new anxiety? Yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. It's, and it's the framed oil painting of Bill Murray. Uh-huh. <laughs> don't get rid of that it's gone uh what do you i know we're sort of joking about it but do you actually do you do you give credence to the idea of sort of like whether it's actually literally energetically uh, something is sort of holding on to energy or absolutely. just that it's you and the relationship you have no to absolutely it? Yeah, absolutely yeah. things hold energy uh uh even if even if it is a memory or a uh, sense memory um even if you're unaware that you are you know 
having those those connections those those neural pathways are are if you have a piece of tr- of artwork from your childhood bedroom that's now in your adult bedroom you, those neural pathway neural pathways are still active still yeah. connected um and the same thing goes for spaces i mean you can feel it you feel it most or i've felt it maybe just because where i've spent a lot of my time is in theaters because there's so much energy expended in those spaces not only by the performers but by the audiences who witness them and that's why i think places feel haunted or and i don't mean haunted by in the in the traditional sense like but there is one person who is yeah, unresolved who yeah is, but there but there are spaces that contain those energies and houses can feel that way when you move in or right. whatever is you it's 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 essentially the long-term version of of uh you know walking into a room with two people who've just been fighting you know yeah absolutely do you have specific theaters that you absolutely immediately felt something very very positive or felt something that was um, sort of uncomfortable or strange yeah there's been a lot of theaters there's been a lot of theaters my first big job out of college I toured with this Broadway one man show called Defending the Caveman and so it was just me by myself and I did close to a thousand performances oh my over God. the course of four years uh, wow that's a long time to be doing yeah, that show yeah it was a long time were you doing stuff in between were you hiatusing kind of. in a sense no no, because I was I got the job when I was like 23 and then I would travel and then I'd have a little time off and I'd, I didn't have an uh, apartment because I was traveling enough to where I was like I don't want to keep a place and so I, then I live with my brother for a while or I'd go I've got two weeks off well I'll go visit a friend right. or I'll um, travel to you know take a little vacation um but it was a very, it was a very like that type of lifestyle led to a very uh, ungrounded mental state. I just felt homeless and 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 kind of ungrounded and and shaky all the time. And How many different were you just within the United States? Were you taking? Was it going? Yeah, all over I, the world? I, I went. I mean, going? around the world in that like I went to Montreal or I went to Bermuda, but mostly the, I think I been to 35 or 36 of the states um and there are definite definite theaters that you walk into mostly the older ones obviously the newer construction ones you know feel new but uh but yeah i'm trying to think chicago definitely has a bunch like i i spent five six years in chicago and even walking into like you know, Improv Olympic or Second City or um, the theater I was at is now the Laugh Factory, but it was the um, the Lakeshore Theater when I first started doing the show there. Um, they're just they they're spaces that that have evolved with the time. Whether they started as vaudeville spaces and then became silent movie theaters and then became actual movie theaters and now have transitioned back to actual theaters. Um, Chicago, yeah, definitely has a lot of those those types of rooms. Are you a pro- now? You immediately yeah. made the 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 connection with Sacramento to the sort of gold rush era, mm-hmm. um, and in thinking about this sort of histories and the energies yeah. of places, do you are you the kind of person who, when you go to a new place, you're sort of interested in how it came to be, what it is, or oh, sure, you yeah. know, yeah, the current history. I want to see the photos of the area a hundred years ago. You know, Venice, Marina del Rey, even where we lived um, on the peninsula, you know, used to be oil derricks. And there were a couple of like ranch style California craftsman houses that are still there. Um, But it was mostly just drilling for oil on the beach. And uh, Chicago is definitely that way. And and people in the in the bigger cities and I guess in the small towns, too, are, are, are good about, 
you know, keeping the, those type of records, mm-hmm. uh, about what the place used to look like or, or what it used to be used for. Um, in New York, the buildings are labeled. Yeah. Like you can look up and it'll say like Horton's ice cream. And you realize that that building that's now mixed use apartment with a, you know, deli in the bottom used to be like this ice cream factory or yeah. whatever it was. But I don't feel like we get that. I'm from Arizona. And, mm-hmm. and so certainly I have a connection, a very strong connection to Spanish and Mexican history, mm-hmm. but there just isn't. How does that play and out I've said in your that life? On, Oh, well, I don't know. Did you grow up learning? Like, was that what was taught there? I did. I mean, I I went to school uh, in a magnet program my elementary school years that What's was a magna program a magnet program you know magnet, magnet program. No, explain it to me i, I know i've school. heard i know i've heard it and yeah. then and then i'd be like oh yeah magnet magnet and By no the, idea what so it i know i did not know that those drillers were called derricks until like a day ago yeah. i did had no idea what to call them i was like you know the crickets yeah the grasshopper things <laughs> yeah they yeah, look the like seesaws. bugs, bugs the right seesaws. the oil bugs yeah the oil uh praying mantises that's right yeah that's right um uh, that would be like uh, like the Tucson school district wanted to diversify so that you wouldn't just go to your neighborhood school. Got it. That you would go. And so there was a whole system of like a bus picks you up. You go to a different school to mm-hmm. transfer mm-hmm. buses because mm-hmm. everybody from all these different neighborhoods gets on wow. the school school bus wow. and goes to. So it's like, you know, you had to be it's out. It's in the news these it days. It starts Bussing. real early. Yeah. In the morning, yeah. yeah I'm in sure. the winter, you're it's just dark for such a long time because it takes like an right. hour and a half to get to school when all said and done. Sure. But that's um, when you do your homework. That's when you do your homework or get bullied. In my case, Uh-oh. uh oh. But that was bullied how? Oh, just like Verbally. you know, yeah. And just there was a girl who uh, didn't. She just decided she didn't like me because I was, was one sh- of the last stops, and she was short. No, she was. She might have been taller than me, which is saying a lot because I was a tall kid. You're a tall. You're tall. I'm a tall gal. Lady. Uh, she no. She would keep five, make ten? everyone five ten. Okay. She would make everyone put their knees in the aisle so I couldn't sit down anywhere. So I would either just she have to like, stand yeah, next coming. to the driver. Knees in the aisle. Isn't that crazy? A full bus load of people who I didn't know because I didn't go to school with any of them. They, they all went to different schools it. and they all did and it. They all did it. And I stopped. I. For those of you who listen to the podcast, I feel it's probably been years since mm-hmm. I spoke about this, so it's probably okay. But uh, I started faking sick because I didn't want to have to face that and get on the bus. And eventually, my parents were like, I don't think she's sick. And yeah. they took me to a doctor, and the doctor was like, something's going on up here, Tab's mm-hmm. head. Mm-hmm. And so finally, I admitted what was going on, and then it turned into a whole kit and caboodle where they like wow. called my principal, who yeah, sure. somehow put together where she went, and he called her principal. Because who knows where this kid turned yeah, out. That, this kid didn't even go to any of the schools. She's never, in she fact. Just a bus rider. In fact, there was no student except in 1950. That's right. A, a very influential ghost yeah. that everyone was too afraid of to even tell me it was a ghost. Should have, should have known by the pedal pushers. Should have known, but yeah, she. Uh, so anyway, that was uh, the magnet school. The one that I, the ones that I went to were arts and performing arts mm-hmm. kind of based. So there would be the extended day program where you would take art classes of some kind, uh, two different classes. So you're mm-hmm. going home at like five, five thirty. Mm-hmm. Or if you were doing a play, we would go home at like seven. Um, And so, uh, and that, the schools that I was going to were in the historic barrio of Mm -hmm, Tucson. mm -hmm. And the first six years of uh, school for me were were English and Spanish. Sure. Um, And then I went to... uh, Are you still fluent? Not at all. And I never was. But I do have very... 
strong positive feelings about sure. Hispanic culture and sure. those ho- their holidays are like more meaningful to me mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. you know than some most right. just sort of Western American holidays. But sure. um, but this isn't just about me. Christmas, but it's mostly Christmas. about. Do you me. love it? Las Posadas. Oh Jesus! It's the same. Right. More or less, right. but different songs oh. and adorable children dressed as angels carrying a crèche through neighborhoods where you knock pre- on pre-configured uh, doors yeah. and you and and Mary and Joseph ask for shelter, shelter and they're turned away and turned away and turned away and then they're allowed in and then everyone has and delicious hot chocolate and cookies for that year and then and then you have to live there for that year. It's an exchange until, program until yeah the next year. It's a little complicated. Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. Hi, everybody. My name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. We're both doctors. and Nope, just me. Okay, well, Sydney's a doctor, and I'm a medical enthusiast, and we create... Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. Every week I dig through the annals of medical history to bring you the wildest, grossest, sometimes dumbest tales of ways we've tried to treat people throughout history. And lately we do a lot of modern fake medicine because everything's a disaster, but it's slightly less of a disaster every Friday right here on MaximumFun.org as we bring you Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. And remember, don't drill a hole in your head. So you settled in Chicago because like of defending the yeah, camera? Yeah, the, so the show landed there, and we did this like sit-down run in this 300-seat theater that ended up running for like 14 months. And then by the time that, that was done, I, I had started uh, training at I.O. And, and had gotten my first agent, um, which I, I had not been able to surprise. Surprise, in Los Angeles, no one cared about my theater degree. So when you were um, so how long were you here that you tried to do two, that when you were two and a half years. just after Loyola Marymount yeah, you were yeah, like, like oh I'll years. give this yeah and every every day I would send out submissions and, and then drive around to agencies God, that's and realizing so like stressful. right and yeah. also not how it works <laughs> I know it's such a weird but like, like but when people ask me what should I do how does it work I'm like yeah. I don't know I have no idea everyone's story is different everyone has found a different way into yeah. this industry and none of the ways in will apply to anyone else. Right. Which is why it's so frustrating. It's it's just so Um, ephemeral. It's so like snatching at nothing in the air. It's like these little time warps open up and you just have to be standing there to jump through. Yeah. Um, But Chicago was my way in to the industry and, and and mostly my, just my way into working. Like I just wanted to do theater. I, I had, I had no idea how to, do on camera things or film or television or any of that stuff. And so what I did know was theater. And so I started working there and in Chicago, if all of the theaters kind of work on the same schedule, so you can set up your work schedule for years in advance. Some people, um, and then that's where I met Rachel and, and we were there until 2010 when we, got married and then five days later I, I or you know leading up to our wedding I had got asked to audition for this Broadway play and so we got married and then five days later drove to New York well for that audition no for the you got play, it I got it you got then it then you're to start married rehearsals, then you went to go do it to start rehearsals and and just kind of packed up and but so Chicago that's that's a good 
you know, that's a sort of good middle step from yeah. being, you know, a Californian to the, Chicago to New York. That's like, the only thing I tell people yeah. who like, who like, what should I do? I'm like, you know what you should do? You should move to Chicago. Yeah. And you know what? Nobody wants to hear that answer. Yeah. Except people who already know because they've lived in Chicago and they're right. like, yeah, he's and right. Like, this is a great move city. Move to Chicago, but what about Los Angeles and New York? I'm like, what about learning how to act? Yeah. <laughs> like, not only not only is there ample opportunity to do that there, but the city is affordable. Yeah. Like I had my own apartment, and I was making no money for, and it was like 500 bucks a month in a nice neighborhood. Yeah. And I had money left over to pay for improv classes and to go out and see music and to see other theater and to also be in the, I mean, it was like, it's, it's an artist's town. Oh my God. That's what mm-hmm. absolutely, I was going to say soup yeah. to nuts. Don't even know where that comes from. But yeah. every person I know nuts. who lived in Chicago is like, yeah. I sort of wish I were still there or yeah. the, just the exposure to culture yeah. in so many different forms they yeah. felt like was just abundant, just the way you're saying for sure. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I on as a theater actor bought a house there That's and great. was able to the, the, you know, the mortgage was a thousand bucks a month, which is insane. Yeah. And you know, you can, you can, work in the theater and have kids and own a home and all do all the things that like a normal working person does yeah. and still be creative in that in that way were you once you were settled in there were there opportunities to sh- to do on camera stuff that you were totally getting and yeah like I, like the movies that come through i mean now it's totally different because dick wolf has come in and set up you know all the chicago med chicago right, fire right. chicago and they, they all shoot there and they are current constantly rotating people through those shows yeah. and and at the time there were a few shows there that that would come and go and then you know the dark knight movies the batman movies and you know movies would come through and tv shows would shoot pilots there and so there was opportunities for it and the first pilot i shot was was there um, was it about fire police hospitals or uh, law? yeah it, it was about it was about law and police <laughs> it was i think it was called something justice like uh-huh. and it's and it was jason isaac mm-hmm. the 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 brit the amazing british actor playing some kind of like lawyer slash detective okay and uh we got into a half nude uh russian bathhouse fist fight How and that was my first pilot Bottom half nude, I'm assuming. Top Bottom, half shirt. Wearing shirts, Great. no pants. Great. Um, That's a Chicago way. Yeah, it was a direct ripoff of uh, of uh, Eastern Promises. Uh-huh. That film. Like you saw. <laughs> yeah. That, that, yeah, it really was. Literally that it was a scene. Ripoff. Literally that oh, scene. That's so funny. In the bathhouse. And uh, he, Jason Isaacs, thought that I was a stuntman and not an actor. And so it was just full on kicking me in the chest all day. And of course, huh. this is my first job. So you didn't. I didn't know. To, there was to, no conversation had. I didn't know to be like, hey, hey, hey can you stop kicking me so hard in the chest? Uh, double, like double feet donkey kick. <laughs> like, and I'm, I'm a young enough actor. There was a whole confusion, right? Because there were these two thugs and it was like, you know, Igor and Rash were the two thugs. And. I was playing Rash, and the other stuntman was playing Igor. Uh, but the stuntman had this amazing port wine birthmark on his face, yeah, looking like he might be called Rash. Right. And so there was this huge confusion about who had what lines, yeah. and they started taking my lines away and giving it to the stuntman. Mm-hmm. But then they realized, oh, he 
can't deliver these lines and started giving them back to me. And then by the time that was over, Jason Isaac was he just donkey kicking me in yeah. the chest. <laughs> it's just and crazy. I didn't know enough. At the end of the day, I think the stunt coordinator gave me like a, a $175 a bump, <laughs> doing like a work. stunt bump. <laughs> and uh, I was completely covered in, in, in fake tattoos, body tattoos, neck tattoos, like my whole body. I had four hours for one day of work oh of like God. these tattoos. And then at the time I rode a motorcycle and, and I was like, I just leave them. They're sure. kind of fun. They'll wear off. Yeah. And I, and I left set and just went home. Yeah. And the makeup guy was like, uh, you need to come back. And so we can remove those. And I'm like, it's fine. I'll wash them off. And Andy he goes, no, no, no. Those are, those are real Russian mob tattoos. And if, uh, if, if the wrong person were to see you with those, it would be very bad. Oh, my and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, real life. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, real life, right. not pretend life. But yeah, so Chicago offered all kinds of opportunities, but the, the opportunity to live affordably and still be a creative person was kind of invaluable. Did you get uh, in early in your career, and maybe this still happens, but I seriously doubt it now with where you are, but did you, because of your size, uh, did you get the sort of like, we need you to be a thug or yeah. we need you to be a bouncer or yeah. we need you to be because there are so many small people sure. in entertainment yeah it, it works out very well in those cases um beard is generally a tough guy and then <laughs> shaved is big big dope uh-huh. um i realized very early that my my size was great for theater yeah because being a, a large person on stage helps and you and there's generally roles for people of all ages but I knew for film and television I wasn't going to work until I aged into my size hmm. like you can't on tell in film and television there's not much to do with a six foot five 23 year old right um and so I needed to age into cop detective thug like all of these things and so sure enough like I hit 30 and started picking up a lot of work but that's really funny and what was the play that you moved to that you and rachel moved to new york for? it was called lombardi and mm-hmm. it was about vince lombardi the football coach and it was dan loria and judith light were the two leads and um and then a few of us play, played football players and, and there was a, a woman i knew in chicago who knew the casting director like if you're looking for football player sized actors you should see this guy and um and she said, we've already done the first round of auditions, but if he wants to fly himself out for callbacks, we'll see him. And so I borrowed 400 bucks from my parents to, to buy a plane ticket and went out and auditioned for Tommy Kale, who um, is Lin-Manuel Miranda's uh, creative partner. He ended mm-hmm. up directing... Uh, uh, What's that musical called? Oh, uh, I don't know what you're uh, talking about. Yeah, Hamilton, I think it's called. Uh-huh. Um, so he directed this play, and and then that was it. We just we drove out and and kind of Rachel, you know, kind of magically got a job transfer out there, and so she was working, and and we were yeah, it was nuts. Did I? I have to believe that the just the amount of training by virtue of touring all of these different cities at such a young age would help. Like when I hear the, when I hear, I think about the, the, the very, very few times I have had to like fly to New York for a test or something like that. And I'm not, I'm not a super anxious person about auditions and stuff, but it's real hard not to get nervy when you're like on a plane going, I'm going to spend five minutes in a room with these people. And that's what all this is for. 
but for some for someone like you kind yeah. of already associating like performing on stage and being yeah. in a, on a plane and this and that sure. like did you feel like that helped with, with oh stuff absolutely like that? I've, I've described you know performing for me is like adderall for someone with add it focuses me and it like calms me and it it's the anxiety comes from all everything else yeah um has that always been true for you? Were you a kid you know who loved what, I think getting so. on stage? Yeah, like the performative aspect of it, which it comes down to you know seeking validation and, and things like that um, as as a form of brain drug, yeah. as a form of getting that validation that taps into the center of of the brain that distributes dopamine and serotonin and oh that's calming oh that feels good okay thank you thank you for those applause or whatever laughter or whatever right. it is um and so the tour as my as my an, uh, uh, theater mentor kind of told me initially he's like listen it might not be shakespeare but what you are what you are getting right now is your phd in stage time like we, I played rooms anywhere from 200 seats to 2,500. Wow. And, and so to be able to and just... And was a one-man show, let's remind Yeah, everyone. and so to just stand on a stage with these words, it was like an 85-page monologue, essentially. Yeah. Um, that took three months to learn, like just to memorize. And then rehearsals. And like I almost drove myself mad just memorizing it. So, the, so you didn't write it. No, it was the person who because that's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Like the, you don't see a ton of one person performances right. that the person who wrote it didn't write for themselves to right. then perform and tour. Right, with. and that seems very unique and and cool. To yeah, me. Th there's a, there's a, I mean there's a reason for that. Like it's it's personal material, but this stuff was you know this was this was written you know in the late nineties, uh, when the, when the topic of of men and women are so different, men be all like. And women, like, and, you know, all the, the, every bit of entertainment was, you know, home improvement and King of Queens. And there was, there was an interesting shift happening of this strong, beautiful, powerful woman and this idiot oaf man. Right. And it was, an, there was an, it was an interesting Defending the Caveman was kind of a, a, a loving response to the idea that, listen, men are all pigs, men are all assholes, and that's just the way it is. And the culture had kind of gotten to a point where it was men were kind of like, yeah, <laughs> you're right. And, Crack me up, put another brewski. And, and it gave people permission yeah. to just be that. Yeah. And this play was really sweet in that it was like we have these differences and here's why and it came from this like anth anth anthropological mm -hmm. and sociological thing of like hunters and gatherers and how we used to function in society and how we had these roles and how it's kind of developed now and why we do things differently and yes we are different but but no one is better or worse and it was really kind of fair and balanced and made fun of men and made fun of women and and it was the longest running one man show in Broadway history and still is. And so it tapped into something at a, at the right time to where it was like, let's get back on the same page here and remember why we like to partner with each other. Mm. And I think it was a really, it's interesting when, when you are in a coupleship 
and you think that your problems are unique or you think that like the thing that your partner does that bother, bothers you is only exists in your little bubble and then you go to a theater and if it's a 2500 seat theater let's say you sit with you know 1500 couples and they're all laughing at the same thing it just kind of disarms all of those things um, which is also that's very comedy i mean in general yeah. that's very like go see a stand-up show and yeah. sort of have that experience or exactly. go see uh, improv in some cases yeah and this guy was a stand-up comedian he wrote mm. this thing rob becker he wrote this thing in response to the death of the comedy boom hmm. all of these comedy clubs were closing he didn't have as much work and he, there were these theaters, these comedy rooms. And so he wrote this thing and then did it in San Francisco for six months mm. and kept this comedy club open with this thing and then yeah. did it in Dallas and then did it in Chicago and then went to Broadway and all these things. Um, I'm surprised I haven't seen it. I'm not surprised that well, I haven't seen broad, like it yeah. being on Broadway because I was, I've for, I just was a terrible going to see shows yeah. person in New York because I'm a, not a planner. No. So I would always be in New York and be like, maybe I should see a show. Oh, that I checked for tickets and yeah. oh, the half price <laughs> tickets seem so far away. Like just very yeah. sort of like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't have that hunger to right. see theater that a lot of my peers have. And yeah. now I feel kind of ashamed of it. Like I've sort of started leaning back into that going like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this is a, this is like yeah. a very important part of what yeah. we do. And even the if you're not the person on the stage yeah. doing it, you're, you're gaining so much as a human being, but also as a, right. uh, you know, as it a crafts person. Yeah. And sparks inspiration as far as like, oh, that's what's happening right yeah. now in the modern theater. Yeah which informs everything. Like all of those actors leave to go do film and television and those directors are off, you know, directing television as well. So it's, it's, it, they're all connected, but, um, but yeah, doing, so doing the show after, after a certain amount of time, you know, it was understanding what it's like to stand on stage just in front of that many people and have the first 20 minutes of your show not go well and get no laughs. So 20 minutes, there was, let's say there's a, let's say there's, be generous, say there's only supposed to be one laugh a minute. So you've tried 20 times to make these people laugh and they haven't. And now we have (laughs) over an hour to go. (laughs) So what are we going to do? That's, that's intense. How, how are you going to adjust? How are you going to shift? What are you going to do? Can't speed up. Can't really slow down. What are you going to do differently to connect and let these people know that everything is okay right? and you're going to be fine. I'm going to take care of you. We're going to get the, we're going to get on the same, like it's, it was just, it was like a, it was almost like, um, a science experiment, but yeah, after a certain amount of time, like after memorizing that much, I can memorize five to 10 pages in, in a matter of minutes. Sure. And, How long do and, you retain that after you've used it for uh, whatever purpose it needs to? It's gone. Yeah. Yeah. I dump it. Yeah. The file dump is pretty quick. Yeah. Um, did you have tricks that you would, I mean, that sounds like sort of callous, but did you have like, as you came to understand the way different audiences were reacting and kind of getting a sense again, like you said, a science experiment that you might have a certain group that only reacted to this one kind of joke and you sort of go, Oh, they're the crowd that doesn't get anything up to this point. Or they're the right. crowd who clearly feels uncomfortable with maybe this sort of vibe, yeah. but they allow themselves to loosen up at this point. And in, in my past experience, this usually means they soften up from here on out. Absolutely. Like, did you have- yeah. I mean, there was, I over time developed probably four or five different ways to deliver each joke 
depending on how everything up until then had gone and how I wanted everything after to go and was able to, in the moment, pick one. And, uh, and yeah, so there, there were little tricks like what I would try to do if it wasn't working was pick a person. Like even if it's 2000 people, I would pick a person Mm. like four or five rows back Mm -hmm. and deliver the show to them. Mm. And if I could deliver it to them and get them laughing, then it, it, it it feels less like a person, a guy on stage talking and someone talking to someone else. Yeah. Um, Did that person, were you making eye contact with that mm -hmm. person? Yeah. You really just like isolate. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like I would pick I, one I in wish the I middle. I could find one of the people that Well, I have a surprise right. for you. Could you come in here, please? <laughs> this one person from whose Atlantic life was City. Changed. I really felt like he was looking right at me. It's reassuring to know I was right. And it turns out he was. Uh-huh. And I'd pick one like one person off to the right, one person off to the left, and one person in the middle. Got it. And and try to try to deliver it directly to them. But yeah, I mean there were times when I'd forget the words and be just alone on stage trying to figure out what I had just said and what Ugh. comes next. And I would just be honest with the audience about, I have no idea. What. Oh, you would? Yeah. And it was st- it's a stall do? tactic. Right. And it's, and they think it's hysterical. Right. They love it. As long as you, I mean, that's the, the yeah. thing, right? As long as yeah. you seem like you are fine with whatever's mm-hmm. happening, happening, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. There's some sort of like, that's the trust, right? That the audience is like, oh, I don't have to feel bad for you because you clearly are fine with whatever's going on right now. I've had a brain malfunction and I don't remember what comes next. And they'd laugh. Also, you're by yourself. So I'm sure there's a baked in sympathy that's like, I couldn't do what you're doing. Take your time, please. Yeah. You know? And I'd say, no, I'm serious. And they'd laugh again. And I'd what did I just, what did, what did I just say? What just came out of my mouth? And someone would yell a key word or something. Yeah, that's right. That's what I just said. And what comes next? <laughs> and just kind of walking through it. And there were yeah. t- there was one time where I was like, you know what? I, I'm going to, I have to go. Really? And I have to go get the script. <gasps> and so I oh literally my. walked off stage. Do you remember where that happened? Uh, yeah, it was somewhere north of Chicago. It was a one-night gig mm-hmm. where somebody had hired the show to come, and I drove myself up there and went backstage, and they could, I was still on mic, and they could hear me, and I, was, I just kept narrating. Let's see, we're about <laughs> page. And, and they could hear the pages turning, and they could hear, wow. like, let's see, about page 65. Just talked about TV and the football, oh, and... Wow. Oh, here we go. And found it and walked on stage and kept going, and people just assumed it was part of the yeah. routine when that happened yeah. did you did you still have a feeling of a course of adrenaline oh, like yeah, oh yeah, fuck yeah. oh yeah, yeah but you played it off yeah and we'll move on from this in a second because i'm now i'm really psychoanalyzing but do you think that there's anything to the fact that it wasn't part of a big tour it wasn't part of a big run it was something you drove to do you know what I mean? And so was there any part of you that after the fact were like, I wonder if I was less connected because oh, I was sure. so comfortable. Sure. Where I was, like, I was like, yeah, I'll just hop in my car. You know, this it's auditorium. A yeah. Just, you know, yeah. outside of Chicago on the burbs. Yeah. I think I can handle this, everybody. Yeah. And I think I was probably just a little cocky and Yeah. And hubris, slipped. Illinois. Was sure. The name of hubris, it. How, Illinois. What a Welcome weird to hubris. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, when you were in high school, did you have in Sacramento a, a, a robust theater program in your high school? Did you go to a private school yeah. or a public school? I went to a private high school. I went to public school up until then, but then I went to this Jesuit 
I went to Jesuit high school mm-hmm. in, uh, in Sacramento and there's a, there's a man there named Ed Trafton who ran the theater program. Co-ed or just boys? Uh, this was all boys, mm-hmm. but we had, at the time we had two all girls schools, St. Yeah. Francis and Loretto, who actually, this was kind of the best part about all of our extracurricular co-ed activities is any of the girls from any school in the, in the school district could come participate in our activities. And so theater was, was a co-ed activity and was, and was an amazing like social experiment. Yeah. Um, I know it feels like it would feel to me like maybe I, yeah, like you cracked a code or something like you had, you stumbled upon something that was like, nobody knows about this. This is a huge in. And yeah. And the guy who ran it was just this amazing creator and he still runs it and he's still turning out amazing shows and amazing performers and, and like heavy duty artistic stuff, not just, not just, you know, they'll do spam a lot and they'll do the, the lighter musicals, but they also did a play called God's country, which was by Stephen Dietz, who, which was about, uh, white supremacist and white nationalist groups in California. And, uh, uh, a true story about a, an assassination of a radio personality oh, wow. and these men who went on trial and, mm-hmm. and the discussion of, you know, all of these. So, so you've got 30 Catholic school kids dressed up as Ku Klux Klan members to end the first act wow. for a cro- with a cross burning. Oh my God. And so he, he, he treated us all like adults and treated us all like artists. And so it was a, it was a real fun place to be. What kind of stuff were you, what roles were you getting? Were you, again, I, yeah, I say this as a person guy. who was getting the yeah. mom roles. Well, we're tall. Way. Like if I'm tall, no, we're tall. That's played, the only way you convey adulthood. I played the dads. Right. I played the grant, the older people, mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the thugs. Um, but yeah, yeah. That's why theater was was kind to me. Yeah. yeah. Did you date girls in that world? Uh, not really dating. It was flirting, and I, I don't. I, I think I had. I didn't have like my first real girlfriend until senior year. Um, but yeah, they were all everyone. Yeah, all the relationships were in that world. But yeah, I I always felt like I was. So one of my best friends to this day was a couple years behind me in that program. She's like my wife's best friend now and one of our, and we actually lived with her in New York for the first eight months we were there. Oh, bless her. That's two, a, two that's bedroom a apartment. gift to give to someone. Yeah. And, and, uh, and her name's Victoria and, um, she remembers it differently. Apparently I was more popular and desired than I remember uh-huh. being, uh-huh. which maybe is how it always is. But I, I felt certainly felt more awkward and and uncertain and and uh, kind of uh, I don't know what the word is um, un unmoored like I floated around mm-hmm. a lot I kind of I, I floated between theater but I was also a competitive tennis player and, yeah, went, I and went to Loyola Marymount on a scholarship for oh, nice. tennis and so I would go between the jocks and the theater kids and my two best friends and I were skaters and so it was like this weird like I just didn't feel which was great I felt like I belonged kind of everywhere but nowhere mm-hmm. um yeah that makes total sense yeah. and I do think that's something that a lot of people feel when they don't have that right. close class I felt the same way I didn't yeah. have I had I would have like an like a, a really close friendship with maybe one person mm-hmm. 
And if that went away, yeah, I realized like well, I'm not part of any. Nothing. I'm not. I yeah, I'm not nothing. really part of a group per se. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. Where do you where do you fit? Did you find that you had friendships that that went away? Yeah. Do you think that that's happens more for women than for men? I it might. I mean, yeah. I think I had. I had friendships that went away because there were unrequited feelings on one side or the other that just made it too hard to just be friends, right. I guess. Um, and then I did have some of those like just fierce, like so you, passionate. So you were friends. With, you were friends with someone, but you wanted to be romantic with them, or vice versa, or, or vice like versa. I had I had a lot of of straight boy friends mm-hmm. from a very young age, and sometimes sure. that would sometimes it would it would go a direction that I didn't know oh, I was even a possibility, mm-hmm. and then and then I would be like, no, no, where are you going? Yeah. No, no, <laughs> I didn't do anything. I haven't. Yeah. I didn't do anything wrong. Why oh, I have see. I lost I you? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but I, I didn't want to sound like I was like a, a, a heartbreaker or anything like that. But just <laughs> every once in a while, there was one were. that was like, but I was. Uh, but I really was. Boy, uh, let um, me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I gotta say, I love tennis and I cannot play it much because of just various ongoing shoulder things from flying off a bike onto my back, but, um, it makes it hard years ago, but it just keeps cropping up. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. it's always ready. It's always ready for, to explode and, and become the center of my world. Yeah. Tennis is a, is an odd sport. It's, it's, it's an, especially for young people. It's, it's like this individual sport that requires a great deal of mental, stability which young people do not have yeah um so it's it interesting yeah i didn't play it at all as interesting a young sport person. to grow up playing yeah you know? how was that was that something that you kind of discovered on your own or was that the kind of sport where you're it was like your dad or your mom had played and my you dad sort of brought too. into yeah. yeah my dad played and then you know like the thing that was we had like this racket club near our house that was also like that was just like the center of everything it had the swimming pool and the tennis courts and the the kids programs and the and so we just made friends there and in the summertime it was you know ride our bikes over there and participate in whatever was going on but at six five you know i tennis was i was built for it you oh know, yeah I you was cover like, a lot of ground as yeah. i'm sure everyone said from the yeah. very beginning of you picking <laughs> up a racket yeah um but again yeah the mental the mental aspect of it was just a lot to to that was a uh, 90% of the t- players at my in my age groups were head cases because it's just insane it's ins- it's insanity inducing being in an individual sport with that much pressure and um and not having like a team to lean on or, or anything like that. Yeah. Do you play for fun now? Do you, is that something you can I once in a while I will, but now, you know, my my knees and hips and shoulders are all you know, tricky, but it, it also like triggers a bunch of weird old. Well, yeah, that's a question, right? Stuff. When yeah. you do something like that and have that relationship to it, does, right. can it, can it mellow out to become just like a fun leisure activity? Right. And that, you know? I think maybe that's why I felt disconnected from, from things in, in high school too, because if it, if I wasn't at play practice, I was playing tennis. And so socializing was not like a, I didn't. I maybe went to two parties, quote unquote, in in high school. Oh wow! Um, because I was training and I was traveling and I was on the weekends. I was going to tournaments and I was, you know, all of these things. Um, and so the people I played tennis with 
were a totally separate group from anybody in high school. Yeah. What about the skaters? They weren't getting you into smoking a bit, a bit of pot once no, in a while? No. That seems like a tough thing to be dedicated. Like, the skater friends I had in high school yeah. were very dedicated to becoming great at being on their board. Sure. But they were absolutely still, like, smoking a ton of weed sure. and, like, drinking and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, you know, like, I think I was... Discipline-wise. I was pretty... Uh, the fear of fear of God was, was put into my heart as far as, like... Uh, uh, danger the danger of those things like and on a literal reli- religious no level? no i just, i meant yeah. that more metaphorically um i mean you went to a jesuit school so I guess yeah i mean we say. we went to a methodist church which is like the, about as liberal and progressive a, a protestant organization as you can mm. find um but you definitely you it sepped in for you yeah. it sunk in when, well, when yeah, they were it, warning but it wasn't, you about, it wasn't even that it was more just like my parents were I, I I don't know if you saw the photos I sent you, but I was like a boy. I was literally oh God, you were a boy such scout. Such a big boy scout. I was. I'm sorry, well, but you look like a fully grown well, adult. That's with the all end of it. Like that was badges. the last year. Yeah. And I was like 16. Yeah. And uh, we had this troop that took like boy scouting to like what you really think it is like rock like climbing mountains yeah. survivalists throwing hatchets right shooting black powder uh-huh. like <laughs> learn like living in the wilderness like doing yeah. grown-up things and so there was a group of about five or six of us who were in high school doing the boy scouts and my best friend growing up we and I, he and i were in this troop together we both got our eagle scout badges he's now a major in the marine corps wow. like um and so my parents had these things where it was like, if you, if you accomplish this by the time you're six, Eagle Scout by the time you're 16, stay away from drugs and alcohol, all these things, we will get you this. And in the background of that photo, you'll see there's a bright orange 65 Mustang. Oh, and like oh. that was the goal. Yeah. And so if I had to stay away from that other stuff to get that, that was no problem. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't really have my first drink or anything until sophomore year of college. But see this and this all that that even just you. I mean, each thing that you're adding on to your agenda as a teenager that you're telling me again, aside from skating, but even that is a thing that it's really hard to be naturally immediately good at. So you Mm -hmm. do have to be willing to practice and do it Mm -hmm. and fall and get hurt and get up and do it again. Um, so there's a lot of discipline. There's so much discipline going on in there. Too much. Too much discipline. Too much. Yeah. But maybe not the worst thing in the world for no. an actor because you have to have that internal clock, yeah. which many people find out the hard way. Right. You know? Some people never have to find it out because they go through the weird time warp where suddenly they're on a show and, yeah. and they didn't. I don't know what that means. Right. But a lot of people have to be very emotionally and mentally disciplined and sort of have the you know a long-term right. marathon in mind well, and that, it seems like you were given that whether it was you yeah know, all for the best or not and the discipline i think also uh, there's a mindfulness involved with, with those types of things to to be called to, to do something in your life you can be just as easily called away from that same thing at some point so to know I'm a tennis player. I'm, I could, at these different junctures, really step it up and take it to a different level. Yeah. If I get this coach and I spend this amount of time and I do this thing, I, I could. Or this could be the end of tennis for me. Now, at age 19, to to walk away from something that I've spent 10 years 
training that my parents have spent countless hours and, and amounts of money on and just to be like, yeah, I, not, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Is not quitting as much as it is being called away from, away from it. It wasn't, it wasn't where I wanted to be. It wasn't where I was supposed to be. It was literally breaking my body down and my, my mental, my mental state down. Yeah. And so like figuring out what, figuring out what my purpose, figuring out what your purpose is in this life is, is very important. And so my purpose is not to be an actor. My purpose is, I believe is to, to reflect emotion. And I do that through artistic, uh, expressions, whether it's music or, or theater or photography or, um, conversation or, uh, uh, whatever it may be. And there are many ways to do that, obviously. But we can only, we only identify our purposes by, by identifying our, our passions and the things that we're passionate about. And once we can identify that purpose, then we have to obey that purpose above all else. Because if we don't, if we don't have that locked in, there is, it's difficult for, 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 let me put it in the I form. If I don't lock that in, then I don't trust myself. Mm. Then I don't love myself. Then I don't um, feel like trying. Right. And then if I feel all of those ways, then the people around me don't quite trust me, don't quite want to connect with me, don't quite want to share with me. Um, relationships become hard. Romantic relationships become hard. Friendships become kind of arm's length. Um, <laughs> Noted. Uh, yeah. And appreciated. Thank you. Uh, and so to really be honest with ourselves about what our purpose is, not, not how we, there are people who are healers, who there are people who are connectors. There are people who are, um, are, uh, who create joy. Um, and they do that through comedy or through actually being a nurse or being a physical therapist or, or being a cook, uh, uh, a chef, or there, there are thousands of ways to be creative. And I think it's all creativity that, that don't involve acting or painting or, sure. or singing or Could or not agree more. And, and so that type of, that type of discipline to bring it back around to what you were talking about. I also have to be disciplined with myself and when to walk away from an idea. And it's happening right now. It just in small ways in, in this new house with my wife, it's like, okay, we get, we get set on an idea and we're like, this is how it's going to be. And we don't analyze the idea any further because we've decided that that's how it's going to be. Even if it's the wrong idea, we stop entertaining other ideas. And a lot of times as is discovered in writer's rooms or in um, the creative process. You have to explore all of the wrong ideas in order to know what the right idea is. Um, so I think that discipline in that fashion has kind of served me like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's hard. It's hard, especially when, you know, this is, a, this is like very much something that gets brought up all the time in all different kinds of conversations nowadays. But we do have the 
what feels sometimes like the burden of too many choices or too mm-hmm. many ideas or yeah. too many. And so, you know, it's completely understandable why any of us at any given time would hope to settle on something quickly. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it does feel organic mm-hmm. and sometimes yeah. it, it stays organic and, you know, but, but there are absolutely times I think for all of us when the safest choice feels like to make one sure. and then to stick with it sure. because it's Great. terrifying to imagine done. like, yeah, the lists of things and yeah. the this and what about that? And what if, Oh, I forgot about this. Right. But, um, but I think you're right. I mean, I think absolutely giving yourself the, a break in, mm-hmm. in, in the way of like, just because I'm open to this right. not working right. doesn't mean that I'm, I'm standing at the edge of a chasm. Right. You know what I mean? I'm doing, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I know exactly what you mean because I'm doing that right now with my life. So I'm, I'm on this television show, um, that is doing very well and I could rest here and I do in many ways and it's a really wonderful place to be but I've also started writing music and playing music and uh, performing under this different name you know of Joseph the spouse and I've also started this podcast with my buddy Michael Rosenbaum and both of those things as much as I love them and I feel fulfilled by them I am completely terrified by uh, doing them I'm like you want to know what would be easier than doing this podcast? Not doing this podcast. Right. This is too much bullshit. What do you mean? Domain names and and social media accounts <laughs> and 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 service providers and oh right, editors and producers and and booking guests and and promoting and like all this shit. Where I was like, why am I? Why do I want to do this? Why do I want to do this? like? And it's so ironic because the, the podcast is called In Love with Michael Rosenbaum and Chris Sullivan. And I'm in this 10-year relationship. Michael is is 43 and has not had a long-term relationship for a very long time. And we've just gotten kind of sick and tired of the, the kind of uh, uh, ironic view or the cynical view of things. And we want to talk to people about the things that they love and the things that drive them and the things that make their life full of light and love and, 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 and we hope to take the, take all of that information like, like soul vampires and sure. improve and improve our lives Sure. and, and prepare Michael for a long-term healthy relationship. Oh, okay. <laughs> I got it. Um, it's a fixer upper. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, he's, this, this is, and, and I'm sure you'll talk to him, but it's like, he's, he's a sincere, heartfelt generous good-looking intelligent funny human being so what's happening so what's the next step right yeah what, what's the where, where are the blocks yeah. and so and i and i on the other side am am this person who has this thing set but how can i continue to challenge myself in my relationship to be better and to be a better performer and partner and lover and friend and all of these things um but there's a constant rotation of not wanting to, to do this and then right. loving it. And then what the fuck is all of this about? And okay, I see what this is about. And just kind of like living in that cycle and not making rash decisions around any of it and just letting it cycle through has been uh, an important lesson over the last year. What are you playing when you're out playing music as Joseph's spouse? Um, I'm playing songs that I've written uh, with, um, 
mostly with a guy named Taylor Goldsmith, who's the lead singer and songwriter for a band called Dawes. Mm -hmm. And he is Mandy Moore's husband. And we met back when he was Mandy Moore's boyfriend. And he was like, yeah, I'm in this band called Dawes. You should check it out. And I hadn't heard of them, which is insane because they have like eight albums (laughs) and they're one of the greatest American (laughs) bands today. And so I bought all eight of his albums and listened to them in chronological order and would like text him as I was listening and ask him questions about these songs. And I had written music in the past and then on guitar. Yeah. On guitar. Yeah. And ukulele. Um, and had kind of realized that we had similar styles and things that we enjoyed. And so one day I just asked him if I wanted to write a song and we wrote a song in like two days over text message. That's great. And then we sat down and wrote a bunch more and he produced the record and we've got about 14 songs recorded and we're going to be playing, let's see, we're playing our next show at, at Largo, oh, great. um, uh, Sunday, September 8th. Okay. I'm going to write that down. Um, and, uh, You'll get an invitation. You'll get I'm you'll so get excited. Um, and so it's interesting to kind of step outside of the the main way of, of creative expression right now and to write these songs and to perform them and to see how or if people connect with them and, uh, and just kind of do something that's scary. Okay. I love it. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my favor. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my friend's favor. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my favor. I'm Judge John Hodgman. You're hearing the voices of real litigants, real people who have submitted disputes to my internet court at the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I hear their cases, I ask them questions, they're good ones, and then I tell them who's right and who's wrong. Thanks to Judge John Hodgman's ruling, my dad has been forced to retire one of the worst dad jokes of all time. Instead of cutting his own hair with a flobie, my husband has his hair cut professionally. I have to join a community theater group. And my wife has stopped bringing home wild animals. It's the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Find it every Wednesday at MaximumFun.org or wherever you download podcasts. Thanks, Judge John Hodgman. All right, I want to get into this mash game. All right, here we go. Uh, I'm going to start with, uh, because we just uh, were having a conversation about music and collaboration, mm-hmm. let's say um, uh, three singer-songwriters, composers, bands mm-hmm. from any time mm-hmm. in the past, uh, present, I'm not going to include the future, okay. um, that <laughs> you may have the opportunity to collaborate with, mm-hmm. but if this person is no longer alive, clearly that's sure. a good choice for this sure. as well, because this is our fantasy sure. uh, ideal that you would love to, to collaborate with musically. Uh, I would love to collaborate with John Prine. I would love to collaborate with the Avett brothers. And I would love to collaborate with Jack White. Fantastic. Okay. Next category is three places in the world that if getting there were not a headache in any mm-hmm. way, shape, or form, you would like to have a sort of a, a, a quiet getaway. Uh, Paris, France. Uh, these are all places that I have not been. Great. That Rachel and I have wanted to go to. Tokyo. 
Japan. In case you were wondering which Tokyo. <laughs> Listen, there's a Paris, Texas. Um, that's hey, all that's I have right. to say. Um, uh, and uh, I would go back to uh, Galway, Ireland. I haven't been to Ireland yet, and I'm so pissed at myself. In two weeks, you could see all of it. Right? And it would be incredible. I gotta go. It's and wild. Scotland. It's a great place. And Scotland. Are you Celtic in heritage? Yeah, that's where a lot of stuff a lot of my blood comes from so yeah. f- from French and Scottish and yeah. Irish yeah. are the are the mains um, yeah I mean I really like that's so gross and it's 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 it feels like especially in in a world now where we are celebrating so many cultures that have gotten you know uh, shit on for for centuries at least in terms of like where where things happen in the states or elsewhere um, I will say that like I am that kid that heard the bagpipes for the first time and was like, oh, that's my soul. Uh-huh. That's my soul talking back to me. Yep. Like, what is this? No, 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 no. I, what is that? I am uh, not embarrassed to say that in order to read the Iliad in high school, I would put on the Riverdance soundtrack oh. in order to make it feel like an epic tale for myself and I had to read it out loud or else I wasn't going to get through it. That is So I'm alone charming. in my I'm alone in my weird room listening to Riverdance and reading the Iliad out loud. That's so, that's a that's an image I welcome a, in. That's an awkward moment. To my heart and mind. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, great. So we've got our vacation homes. Now let's do uh let's do three movies, films that you can step into. You're not reliving the plot, you're not a character. It's really just about being in that world with those people in that environment. Singing in the rain. Great. Amelie. And Ghostbusters. get her that was your plan get her that's like such a small moment in ghostbusters when yeah that's what like bill murray says after that was get get her get her was your plan get her was your plan Ugh, what a throwaway Mm -hmm. golden moment Mm -hmm. um next category uh let's do three foods that in this reality are either too expensive too rare too hard to find too bad for the environment too caloric you're allergic in this alternate reality, you can have it in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. Snap of your fingers, three. You said foods, right? Mm-hmm. Guacamole. Great. Grilled cheeses. Great. The way you said that almost made me feel like it wasn't a sandwich, but it was in fact grilled cheese. Yeah, yeah. Grilled cheeses. Grilled cheeses. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Not like grilled cheese no, makes no, any kind of sense no. either. Grills cheesed. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and and three twins, a lemon cookie ice cream. Oh, lemon cookie. It's the best ice cream I've ever had. Hands down, no arguments. Twins. Fantastic. Okay, next category, let's do three people. They can be fictitious characters. They can be real people from any walk of life that um, you can have as a sort of, you have the bat phone and you can call this person and they're delighted to hear from you and they sort of uh, yeah. spread some wisdom, spread on, some on, wisdom. on whatever it is There's that you a have a question about. person I call about. when I need help. Yeah, or just like, I want to be inspired or yeah. hey, what were you thinking? Like you were saying when you were yeah. texting your, your dog's yeah. friend. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Who's that? That is, I would like to hop on. I'd get on the phone with uh, Barack Obama. Great. I would get on the phone with Tracy Letts. Great. Have you worked with him? I have. I'm sure you have, right? Briefly. Um, And I would get on the phone with Judith Light. Uh, next category, places and times that you can uh, visit, mm-hmm. whether it's an iconic moment in time or just an era that you would love to be able to hang out in. Uh, you have a safety bubble, so you're not going to get cholera or anything, unless you want to. Right. Unless you want to know what it feels like to die of cholera, I guess that's I mean, acceptable. If, if you're going to live life. Right. Um, I would go to, um, I would visit... I would visit, yeah, I'm not really going back to times of tension, but I would go to a Johnny Cash concert nice. at, the Ry- at the Ryman Auditorium. I would go, yeah, they'd pro- I, I'd want to see a lot of music. I'd, wanna, I'd want to, uh, let's try and mix it up. I would go back to... Yeah, I'd go back to the opening day of Disneyland. Oh, amazing. I'd go and I would go see a Midsummer Night's Dream at the Old Globe. Oh, take me with you. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I remember what I was going to say earlier when I went on and on and on about uh, Tucson and my magnet school history, which is your fault. But I was going to say that, and I believe it was Colin Hanks, if I'm not mistaken, because someone just referred to it the other day. But um, have you read uh, uh, Time and Again by Jack Finney? I haven't. It was written in the 70s, but it's, um, it is, I think somewhere in time, the movie stole the sort of mechanism through which you can travel in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a guy who is recruited by this mysterious organization to um, work on this very, uh, very new way of traveling through time, which is that they've discovered that there are pockets in the world uh-huh. that are just close enough to how they've been for X amount of years that if you um, immerse yourself mm-hmm. in that, it's a st- it's sort of a state of mind. Wow. So he is so he is placed like there's a you know there's a place like around the corner from Notre Dame where mm-hmm, th- it's like mm-hmm. a, a quiet cobblestone alleyway and at three in the morning it, you can go back to you know 1600. And in his case, um, they pu- they set him up in a tiny little apartment in the Dakota that overlooks the park. That oh, in wow. the middle of the night, especially in the winter when it's snowing and it's muffling all the sounds, it's just like it was at the turn of the century. So he goes back to New. York as it existed when the Statue of Liberty was just an arm in a park wow. and the the Natural History Museum was just a building surrounded by farmland and stuff. Wow, yeah, it's yeah. a great book. I, I highly it. recommend it for someone like that's you. That's great. I yeah. love that. Anyway, that's write it that's what I was after. thinking about when you were when you were talking about these wonderful places you would go. Um, listen, this is a, you're going to do with this category what you wish. Okay. You have a solid relationship, a wonderful mm-hmm. marriage. Yeah. I don't know if you're the kind of people that have like your lists or your crushes, but this is a mash reality in which you have have romantic, sexy times, long-term romance, don't care with anyone. I don't care if it's an animal, a man, a woman, an animal, a fox. You might care That's, if it was I'm an saying animal. a fox is different than yeah. an animal. Yeah. I'm saying that because, as my listeners know, uh, like more than one person character. has selected sure. the fox Robin Hood. Sure. That's, that oh, guy yeah. would get a lot Ooh, of action. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and it could be something from your past. 
Um, Jillian Anderson, definitely. She was yeah. my first crushes watching X-Files mm-hmm. growing up. Um, and well, it's is, hard not she's to go still out. Yeah. incredible. I know. Did you watch, have you watched the the Netflix series, the British series that she's on? Where Part she's of like, it. Yeah. Have you seen adorable. American Gods? Yeah. Yeah. Where she I plays did not like watch the, the second the David season. Bowie. But yes. Like that was internet God fantastic. and TV God. Yeah. And she's her dressed up her like appearance Monroe. was like, yeah. oh my God, you're amazing. She keeps coming back again and again. It's Agreed. amazing. Um, who is, who is that person who plays Amelie? Audrey Tattoo. Yes, Audrey Tattoo. Let's throw her in there. And it could be that you're saying you're saying Amelie. You don't know. Yeah. Audrey Tattoo. We're yeah. saying Amelie. Yeah. The adorable um, Amelie. The adorable Amelie. And uh, Lydia from Beetlejuice. I knew you were going to say that. How'd you Is know? that so weird? I, in my head, I was like, he's going to say Winona Ryder's character in Beetlejuice, and then and then I was like, no, he's not. Why would they? Why would? That's why such would a weird thing. That? Why would? Why would he say that? And then he said it. Wow. You heard it here, everyone. I've already made my series about being a fake fortune teller, so I can't go back and do it over again. Uh, I'm yeah, you have to go back and make your series mark. about being a real fortune teller. That's true. Yeah. Season two, everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay, final category. Mm-hmm. Uh, three skills that right now you don't possess, but uh, tomorrow we will have you wake up with one of them. You've sort of downloaded Matrix style. Suddenly you have absolute expertise. Um to be a master pianist. Great. And then just give me two more. To be fluent in Spanish. Great. And uh, be a master, um, an opera singer. Ooh. Yeah, that's that's one of those things that is just about as close to what I grew up, like, you know, sort of what my quiver of arrows is while still being the most alien right like how could it be right. that close and also right. feel like and it's from another planet so far yeah so far understood um do you know how mash works i gotta do a little squiggle that you tell me when to stop and then i do my little eeny meeny miny mo. No? it's been a long time okay i'm gonna do like give yourself a couple of seconds okay. but only a couple of seconds okay. to and then tell me when to stop i'm okay. starting now Stop. Okay. I'm going to pause this. I reassure the listener it will seem as if no time has passed, mm-hmm. but I will come back with your 100% guaranteed fictitious MASH future. Okay. 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 All right. I'm feeling real solid about our results. Uh, first of all, what I'm going to drop on you is, I don't know, these three things seem to really blend harmoniously with one another for some reason. So I'm going to go ahead and just like let you know all of these uh, (laughs) at once. Number one is uh, this magical ability to go back and visiting opening day of Mm -hmm. Disneyland, Mm -hmm. I think would be quite marvelous. Yeah, I think a very, very good person to do that with you is Amelie. Absolutely. For her sense of magic and wonder. Absolutely. Um, and then I don't know why it feels like the fact that you are an expert pianist kind of works there. It's almost like you could sit in with like one of the, like the, the early yeah. sort of like the, the New Orleans Square. Exactly. Yeah. And just like yeah. tickle the ivories to everyone's delight. Um, I want to, uh, of course, this is going to come in handy for your uh, musical collaboration with the Avid Brothers. Yep. Which, I mean, let's be honest, that could be imminent if you're already working with a member of Dawes. That feels it's true. like it's true. And, and, those and, are cousin bands, if do, not brother bands. I do know, I do know the the yeah. the Avid Brothers. Okay, so I know them, fine. and I would really just I putting it out that I there. I said you know. Avid Brothers. Oh no. Um, Hold on. No, I'll write I'll a go formal back. apology. I know the Abbott brothers as well. And 
Do you know the Avits and the Avits? Yes. And uh, I'm just throwing, I just, I just put them on the list to, to, to like send that out into it's the universe. It's out there. You know what I mean? Both. Both yeah. sets You've of brothers. It. It's out there. It. Yeah. Um, so congratulations on that. Thanks. Uh, I'll tell you right now, all your musical chops are also going to come in handy with your ability to jump into the film Singing in the Rain. That's right. As you see fit. Excellent. It's one of those movies I had forgotten about, rewatched a few years ago, and had forgotten how satirical it was. Yeah. I just did not have any memory yeah. of that. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, this was ahead of its time. Yeah. Holy smokes. Satirical and like three hours long. Yeah. Yeah. It's really something. Yeah. Um, so good on you for that. Uh, you also uh, have the ability to um, just teleport to your beautiful vacation getaway in Tokyo, mm-hmm. which is worth having a place in. Yes. I've been there and yes. I, I approve your choice. Okay, good. Uh, I don't know the level of quality of their guacamole there. So I'm Ugh. pleased to tell you that you have the magical ability to conjure guacamole oh, at a God. moment's notice. That's probably the best thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because if you'd wish for sushi, it's like... Hey, what a waste. Yeah. You're in you're in Tokyo, you're gonna get it. Yeah. And the guacamole you need access to. And since they don't have it there, I'm gonna make a ton uh, of money. Yeah. Oh, a ton of money. The guacamole they're, king? They're gonna love of it. Of Tokyo? Yeah. Chris yeah. Sullivan, guacamole king of Big Tokyo. Big time. Um, and then finally, uh, I, I'm gonna tell you who enjoy and this by the way, a house in Tokyo, which right. that's you know, right. not an apartment. So there's only a few neighborhoods I can offhand think sure, of. Sure. Uh, and there's one neighborhood that actually reminds me of Venice. California in Tokyo where there's like little bungalows and stuff it's so unexpected it's like oh this is like a one-story neighborhood amidst this giant cosmopolitan city Uh, I'm sure they're very expensive doesn't matter who cares you're the king of guacamole and you magically got it for nothing and uh and and listen you know who's going to be a a fun guy to talk about all this with is Barack Obama yeah he's gonna he's gonna be down with all of this my new friend Chris Sullivan yeah Again, I said this offline, very smug. <laughs> oh, Deeply instant friendship. smug. Uh, whether or not it's mutual, it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I now feel that we're friends. That's it. Um, I, I do have one last piece of business to address with you yes. that I did not warn you about in advance, Uh-oh. which is that because I only interview gentlemen during the summer, and I call it my Boys of Summer series, mm-hmm. and this is Steve Agee's fault, who you may know mm-hmm. because I think you guys were in a movie together. Yes. Uh, I do ask that you extemporaneously uh, try to sing a bit of Ton Henley's Boys of Summer. Now that the boys of summer have gone I can feel it Still keep shining the sun I genuinely did not expect falsetto from you. Back. I mean, that was a... Sunglasses on, baby. Yeah. How much do you have the rights for? Um, I mean, zero. Okay, great. But you put it... You scrambled it just enough. Great. So thank you for that gift. Yeah. Could not have been less prepared for falsetto. You made my day. As Don Henley's got In every way. It absolutely is. It's up there. Uh, thank you so much for doing the podcast. I look forward to having Michael listen, on. Listen to the high five. I look forward to uh, listening to your podcast, yeah, and I can't wait to come to your music show. I'm very Chris excited Nova. about this friendship, friendship, yeah. friendship, friendship. Well, uh, where would you like if people wanted to come see you do the show, etc.? Find out about your newsy news. Where can they find yeah, you? Yeah, follow me on Instagram at Sullivan Graham. So I'll give you all the updates for uh, any shows while we get the website and everything put together. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Sullivan Tweet. Fantastic. Um, and yeah, the podcast in love with Chris Sullivan or in, in love with Michael Rosenbaum and Chris Sullivan will be uh, coming out at the end of August. Fantastic. Guys, you know how this works. I'm going to actually talk to you next time on the podcast. 
The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.